Welcome back to the Skits and Giggles podcast. I'm Pascal, chief instigator of the show and your host. I'm joined by my co-host and our resident engineer, the rumor to my team, Bryson. Hey guys, I know it's been a while and I know you missed our voices, but we're back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year indeed. Well, it is has indeed been a while since we recorded for the last time. Uh, what have you been up to since then? Uh, mostly gaining weight, you know, the winter thing. But I finished building up my hardtail into a rigid bike. So I'm rocking a rigid fork, of course, a hardtail. It's steel frame, steel fork. But I do have a little bit of suspension in the tires via Kushkor. Wink, wink. And um, yeah, I've just been riding it around. Some trails, some fire roads, single speed. Uh, crushing myself in the process. So how about you, Pascal? You've been riding a bike? Well, maybe once or twice per day for a long time, <laughs> because uh, I've spent Christmas break on my own. Family has left me to go see the mother-in-law for uh, three weeks, so I made the most of it. Uh, put in some big rides, decamped down south to Finale for a couple of days. It was a great time. Got to see quite a lot of our friends of the podcast, uh, fellow Fellow uh, racers, um, former guests, um, a great number of people had a great time. And then I came back. We all came down with COVID. And uh, so here we are. <laughs> Been isolated for, for two weeks. And uh, now we're sitting back down to talk about mountain bikes again. On this special edition of the ISOcast. Before we get to uh, the meat of the episode today, let's uh, briefly do our spiel with the social and where you guys can find more information about the Skits and Giggles podcast. We are currently most active on our Instagram, where you can skit right into our messages and follow along at Skits and Giggles. And you can find our website with all the relevant links and info under the URL skitsandgiggles.com. Also, if you guys like what we're doing and want to know what's up, just give us a follow on Spotify. Hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to great podcasts. Speaking of Spotify, do you know that they have a rating system now? So you can give between one and five stars for podcasts? Yeah, I mean, that's a cool thing. They just released it at the beginning of the year. And uh, yeah, so if you guys like what we're doing, also on Spotify, you can uh, ship us a five-star rating. It helps us reach more people like you and helps us grow our show. For any reason you think that we don't deserve a five-star rating, we'd love to hear about it. Actually, it's one of my goals for this year is I really want to connect with more of our listeners. So please, I'm looking forward to it. One point I'd like to recap from last year is our effort for our Stutz and Giggles campaign, where we raised some money for Vel Africa. Pascal, you just did a quick calculation, didn't you? You probably have a number you want to throw yeah, out just there. Just, just let me uh, let me get the, my notes here. Um, well, you're under a pile aside. of papers there. What's going on? I know. I know. It was so much. It was so much. Choking aside, um, we did donate a grand total of 1,310 francs um, to Real Africa. And uh, we're super stoked that we'll have one of their guys come on the show uh, very soon to talk about Real Africa, what they're doing and how they are making a difference in the world through the power of the bicycle. And of course, we are super stoked that uh, we can uh, make a difference with, with our contribution. Stutz and Giggles deserves a five-star rating. Coming back to today's episode, we sat back down with the four-time Skits and Giggles champion, James Drew of Bike the World, to uh, talk about the state of the industry in 2022 
Um, of course, we sat down with James exactly a year ago to talk about what it took to run a business in the bike industry in 2021. Um, of course, we touched on a lot of those things uh, we talked about. Um, if you guys haven't listened to that episode, it's of course still in our archives. You can find it on our homepage. You can find it, find it on where, whichever app you're listening to podcasts as episode number one. Bryson, what were your highlights from the conversation? Uh, without giving too much away, I will say James is full of surprises, yet uh, I was thoroughly impressed to hear uh, about his prediction pretty much coming true. Um, uh, yeah, the fact that uh, in-house manufacturing is going to carry some small manufacturers um, up into the business, like help promote their business and their game. And um, yeah, on the flip side, it's looking like the disruption to the industry via our pandemic is um, going to continue on. So. Let's dive into the podcast and suss out all the details. We'll catch you after the show. All right. Today we sit back down with the four-time Skits and Giggles champion, James Drew. How is it going, buddy? I'm all right. Thank you very much, Pascal. And we also have Bryson with us today. Bryson, how's it going? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys? Yeah, no bad, no bad. Um, well, it is uh, pretty much exactly a year ago that we sat down to record episode one of the Skits and Giggles podcast. Uh, at the time, we set out to talk about what it takes to run a business in the bike industry in 2021. So we thought it was fitting to sit down again with the, the man, the myth, the legend, to talk through what it takes uh, to do the same thing in 22 and uh, touch back touch base on some of the topics we talked about uh, a year ago and see where we stand with those and um, you know what's to uh, what's to come in this year and maybe the years to go after that so um, James you know it's been a year ago so what happened yes. what happened I must say 2021 was a very interesting year um, a lot happened actually uh, there was uh, I must say I, I won't complain we did quite well um, I think delivery is the biggest issue. Um, if, if we want to talk about that, I'm sure everyone wants to hear more about that. Um, but I have to be honest, I noticed some quite peculiar trends as well. And I don't know if this is, uh, well, this is all actually um, caused by COVID, um, the whole situation we're in. Um, but one that springs right to mind now is normally we have a really good December, like a lot of sales um, just before Christmas. And this year we didn't. Because there's no bikes. Um, I'm not going to complain because we, uh, we uh, no, uh, well, I don't really sell bikes. Um, you know, the most thing I sell is probably hubs at the moment, hubs or handlebars. Um, but I have a feeling uh, everyone got kind of bummed out by, uh, you know, this new wave, this new virus coming and kind of shut down. I didn't even know, I noticed it not only in the bike industry, but generally people just seem to be a bit down. Um, so I, I think that was that was a surprise for me because, uh, uh, yeah, December's normally pretty hectic leading up to uh, up to Christmas. But this year was uh, was dead, so uh, I went skiing a lot, okay. which was nice. Oh, well, I, I don't think we uh, <laughs> we can ignore this uh, this total <laughs> here we go again feeling uh, from the year before. <laughs> so it's kind of understandable. But um, 
the rest of the year? Did some of the stuff we talked about a year ago, did that pan out? I mean, of course, delivery times has always been an issue. Um, but uh, some of the other themes, so like, you know, having a lot of new riders um, in the market and uh, buying new bikes and buying upgrades. We talked a lot about customization. How has that panned out over the year? Um, I would say that panned out very well for me. Um, I have one or two brands who probably we well they suffered a bit because of um, delivery issues um, however you know all the brands I have that manufacture at home that kind of pulled through in the very beginning of the year and, and kept us going um, um, was I would say later in the year shall we say going into autumn a lot of the brands I have which which were struggling with delivery also then pulled through so yeah, we could really keep it going through the year. So um, no complaints. Um, I also, if you talk about customization, um, I mean, my big question, there's something I'm wondering about. Are people now buying more expensive parts because they can't get hold of other parts? Um, that's always been in the back of my head you know is this uh, kind of a, a honeymoon period and if covid ever ends will it stop will people start you know looking at buying cheaper options or will it continue with the quality so it's 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 an interesting one actually well, that's for sure. And I mean, it uh, also nicely ties in with uh, a lot of the other um, things that we talked about last year, which I think one of the key the key themes was this sustainability. And uh, we also had this um, other episode and talk with uh, Phil Law of Pembury, which uh, mm-hmm. is uh, interesting enough, is getting some more traction now because he's been featured in this uh, the European Bike Project, uh, Pink Bike Articles. Um, so, so now people are coming back to that episode to, to, to hear it straight from Phil himself. It's actually quite interesting, um, to see in the data. (laughs) Um, but, um, the, this, uh, sustainability piece kind of ties in nicely with what you just said, because, um, you know, typically bits and pieces that are manufactured at home, they are not necessarily known to be the cheapest. They're a bit more Mm -hmm. higher value, but they, um, they play to that theme of like, okay, well, uh, it's maybe more expensive, but I know exactly uh, where it's coming from, that the person that is putting it together um, is earning a decent living and, uh, and, you know, we're not destroying the planet and whatever carbon we're offsetting with this production, we're offsetting it with new trees in the case of Pembry. Um, Mm -hmm. So is that something that uh, is keeping going this year or is that uh, something that has been on well i can't i can't say much but it's going to explode that is <laughs> okay and based on uh, based on what do you do you say that uh, uh the orders <laughs> and uh no we have some big customers who are buying into that and also really believe in um the um um uh what's the word i'm looking for um you know the whole idea behind what phil's doing um i also think the fact that there has been issues with delivery a lot of people have started to look at other options and probably found hey there's some guys out there who are doing really neat you know smart things uh they are being sustainable uh they are trying to help 
uh, trying to improve things. Um, and it's very possible that these things wouldn't have been noticed in a different type of uh, market. So a different environment where, you know, everyone's just clamoring to be cheaper than the rest. Uh, I suppose we've had the luxury of having... Um, you know, having a deficit of a lot of products. So it's, um, how how do you say, a seller's market. Oh, for sure. If you're selling to sell, then it's going to it's gonna help you a lot. It's going to help. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but um, coming back on the, certainly on the transparency piece, is something I, after our conversations uh, last year, it is really something I started thinking a lot about. And of course, with some of the brand that uh, you are also working with um, it is something that's increasingly um, put at center stage of what companies do. So um, I'm thinking of uh, We Are One with the with the release of their own bike, um, and you know they specifically say that uh, every single bits and bobs that is in their in their bike is is, is um, made in a what is it a perimeter of 500 kilometers from Kamloops yeah that's correct yeah so and they know all their suppliers etc so that's um yeah so it's certainly something that has more legs uh, also as more more brands get involved yeah no I think that's um I mean that's definitely um something is interesting and I mean if you look at it um if you look at we are one the fact that they know where everything's coming from uh, they know the people that they're sourcing it. They know what's going on. Um, you know that does also make uh, it makes things easier, and and it makes it it's easier to track. You know the whole sustainability of um, what you're doing. You know if you're um, you know if you're still sourcing, I don't know your aluminium from China um, or wherever. Uh, you don't really know where it's coming from. You can't be a hundred percent sure how sustainable you're actually being. Well, and it's also something along the lines of quality assurance, right? So it is much easier to to work with um, with people that you know are just literally a couple of kilometers down the road, and you can go there in person and you know, check on their tooling and check on their machinery. I know that's uh-huh, something uh-huh. that Bryson is feeling very passionately about. <laughs> tooling, tooling, and quality assurance. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean it's. Um, it's uh it's i think it's an important theme and i think what um people are um not seeing um at the minute is kind of the the real life benefit for for them right now or you know even in in the immediate future mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. my personal view is that of course as just from an experience that uh some some of those brands that are working in that way, they have um, they have not had any issues to deliver. Um, they, you know, you can call them at their factory, and uh, you know, it's like this is what I need, this is what I'm interested mm-hmm. in. Can you offer me something like this? Yeah, for sure. And then two weeks later, you have it on your doorstep. And um, yeah, yeah. for example, right? Um, apart from the sustainability piece, because one of the big questions um, or big challenges that still needs to be solved with the sustainability piece is right now it's put on the consumer because you're mm-hmm. you know you're, at the end of the day you're still buying new product um so we need to solve also for the fact that um the um there needs to be a benefit apart from just uh, the new product 
Well, it's it's. Um, I think we all need to. I mean, f- for example, for me, it's it's this whole, you know, what's going on, and if we talk about um, sustainability or being conscious, shall we say, um, it's got me thinking a lot. I mean, there's there's a lot more we can do actually. If you just look at packaging, for example. Um, um, Pembury does that very well. Um, Industry nine as well. No plastic, only recycled products, cardboard, paper, um, and and it makes me think. You know, I do look. I do have a few other brands where the packaging can be slightly over the top, um, which is fantastic for the customer. But there's, you know, it gets me thinking. Okay, I can probably, you know, do the same effect. Um, but be a lot more conscious. Um, so that's something I've looked into is actually buying um, products in bulk without packaging and doing my own packaging and just trying to, you know, cut down on the amount of waste. Because um, uh, is it uh, if you look at France, I think they banned all plastic packaging for fruit and veg now, um, haven't they? And um, I find that interesting because at the moment we're not being forced to do it. Um, so I suppose maybe people do try and find an easy way out, but it gets me thinking, okay, why don't I do it? You know, I can maybe set an example, um, you know, maybe, uh, get other people thinking or even consumers thinking it's, it's one thing I've started to do is I recycle boxes. Um, so, um, I haven't been doing it for long, but I want to get a stamp so, you know, if I get a box, I might just use it again and send it out to the customer. It might not be perfect. Um, and, you know, they might get it and think, what the hell? <laughs> What's this? This box is a bit tatty. But the idea is to get a stamp that just says, you know, recycle box and just stamp on there. And so people really kind of get the message. Oh, okay, wow, this, they, they're reusing this box. They're trying to you know, do something good. They're not um, just, you know, using a new one every time they want to send the smallest piece, you know, or the smallest part. So I have to say, I think there's a lot more people can do. I think Phil's setting a super example. Uh, And uh, I think uh, if people can start to fall into that kind of um, uh, mindset, I uh, I think we can do a lot, actually. Every little helps. If you know what I mean. Absolutely. Good old Tesco shopper. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, yeah, it has nothing throw... to do with the fact that they were open 24 hours. <laughs> there you go. And, and they had a booze section. There you go. <laughs> anyway, but uh, coming back to, to some of the themes, um, uh, some of the things we talked about as well last, uh, last time around was... Uh, you know, also kind of the, the direct consumer, <clears throat> and how uh, how so certainly the, the big direct consumer bike brands how how they are making an impact. I have um, very good examples from friends of mine, personal friends of mine, um, that have been uh, very positively surprised about the ability to deliver. But um, some mm-hmm. some of them have just reached a certain critical size in the market that they can obviously command. Uh, the production capacity, mm-hmm. but uh, are you seeing uh, the first first signs of direct consumer, direct to consumer um, accessories and and uh, like components as well? 
well, everyone's direct to consumer. It's been that's been going on for a while. I mean, I think yeah, all of the brands I work with, they also they do direct consumer, or we call it dealer direct, uh, don't we? And to be fair, I do the same. Um, I mean, my biggest. I mean, I had a few of my bike shops were um, maybe less keen that I uh, started my own website, um, but you know, my argument is okay. Um, so we have big competition in Germany. We have big web shops who are selling the same brands into Switzerland. Um, what would you prefer that I can sell online and get the online customers and keep the cash in Switzerland and have a lot more liquidity for you guys so I can offer better availability or should we just give everything to some big German internet shop, for example? Um, so, I mean, that's that's something I've been... I'm, I don't fight with anymore. That's kind of just a reality of, of the industry. That's something I had probably bigger issue with about three years ago. As I noticed, you know, encroachment into my market and, um, uh, you know, I wasn't anymore the go-to place to get that certain brand. Um, but I think the times are changing. But, yeah, when I think about it, all of my suppliers sell directly as well. Um, but when we talk about that, the the biggest issue, and I think that's something that maybe people don't understand is if you buy anything from the US or Canada directly and have it shipped to Switzerland, it's expensive, very expensive. And you will also have to pay all the duties and the VAT on top of that. Um, so uh, I've had this conversation with a few end consumers um, who have got in touch with me and said, well, when I go on their website, it's a bit cheaper. And I say, okay, but that's VAT free and that's shipping free. So if you calculate all of those costs together, it's actually going to be cheaper to buy it from me. Um, which is, it's, it's an interesting topic because I noticed a few people don't really understand. I had one guy who actually wrote to me after he bought direct and said, yeah, okay, I'm really sorry. That was, that was the completely the wrong thing to do. I should have bought it from you. It would have been cheaper. Um, I would have had a service partner in Switzerland. I would have had someone to speak to because actually he ordered the wrong part. And then got in touch with me and said, can I, can I change it through you? And I was like, well, you didn't buy it from me. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but I can't really send it back now. It's, I mean, it wasn't a big part. It was, uh, I think, $200, $200 the part. He's like, yeah, it's going to cost me $140 to send it back to Canada. Or 140 euros, I think. And, and I'm like, yep. <laughs> and I'm like, look... I'll swap it for you, no problem. But, you know, just so you know, if you want something in the future, you know where you need to come and get it. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to make that mistake again. Thank you very much. You're great. But I think there's a lot of, you know, if we talk about direct sales, it's it's a, uh, how should we say? It works very well in your own market, but it doesn't work very well globally. It's not really that realistic shipping prices are just too high and dealing with tax and all of that stuff that is that is not fun it's not fun to say you know spend all your hard 
earned cash, shall we say, on something worth 2,000 uh, euros or 2,000 Swiss francs. And then you get, you know, 161 franc uh, uh, VAT bill, <laughs> Uh, you know, and that's a shock. And then it costs 140 bucks to have it shipped. Uh, you know, it's uh, these are kind of uh, things. I think people are learning from that. And I think what I've noticed is people who are looking for really high end, um, you know, nice products, um, trendy products. I think they often look a lot more closer to home. I think uh, one thing I've noticed when it gets to probably if you're going over about 500 bucks it gets people want to speak to someone uh they want to talk to you they want to email you they want to speak the same language as you they want to know where you are um and and that's that's a trust thing so i think it's it is a very interesting topic and i mean i can only speak from my experiences um but i don't know if the you know, hey, I can buy something really cheap and have it shipped from goodness knows where. I don't know if that's always as um, pretty as it sounds, shall we say. All right, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, just to illustrate the the point you made with regards to tax and shipping and customs and all that. I mm -hmm. mean, it took Canyon how long to figure out the Swiss customs? Ten years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they they only like yeah, that. right. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it's one thing, and of course, within the EU, that's uh, that's one discussion. But as soon as you have different, um, you know, different uh, different countries and different uh, tax regimes, etc., then all of a sudden, this. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll tell muddled. you something that's really funny. So it's quicker to ship stuff from the UK to Switzerland now than it is from the UK to France. Well, because they, they need to settle their fishery fights first. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Well, if you so want to ship if, this if, piece, if I, guess, <laughs> I want my fish first. If I get something from Pembury, it takes three days. You know, he's like, yeah, if I ship something anywhere else in Europe, it takes like three years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, Bre Brexit pending. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's that's uh, you know talking about the themes and the, you know that's not only looking in the small the small pond of the bike industry. That's of course something that we are observing across uh, across the entire economy is is now the reality of Brexit and and what it really means. So not wanting yeah. not wanting to dive too deep into into that depressing discussion, but. Uh, you don't? Oh, I love talking about it. <laughs> uh, we have a chat about Bojo as well. If oh, like. yeah, and this, this garden parties. <laughs> <laughs> but, pandemic, uh, yeah, I mean, pandemic on, parties. Uh, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, I mean, on that, I mean, if you really want to talk about sustainability as well, buy local. Everyone knows that. Um, I mean... Uh, um, well, no, that's common sense. Yeah, I mean, you can buy stuff abroad. I buy stuff abroad. Um, but if you can buy it local, why not buy it local? You know, why not help your your um, your uh, local economy um, instead of helping someone else's or you know lining the pockets of some guy whose uh, pockets are pretty full already. Very true. Very true. 
But uh, not to take undue credit for for this uh, brilliant discussion we just had. I mean, Robin, Robin Schaub, <laughs> our dear friend of the podcast, he uh, motivated some of that question. But uh, he also had uh, he also had uh, another another sub point that he wanted to know. And uh, I guess you you answered it partially. Is like you know, do you see in the com- in your component brands, do you see any any trends? You know that uh, that are happening, be it direct to consumer or not in your case and and how do you prepare for your future um well like i said all of the brands i work with sell direct to consumer already um if i'm losing a lot of sales to them that's very hard to quantify um it is possible i think industry nine it is more than likely um i think with with like chromag or title which don't offer um things at those price levels very unlikely because the shipping costs are too high um how i'm preparing for the future is i mean i've pretty much done the same um so i mean if you talk about um selling um, i think omnichannel or multi-channel is 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 the way to go um and you know that's what i do i mean i notice i have some customers who they get in touch with me and i can say yeah go to a dealer please um but i already know then they won't they just get pissed they just get annoyed they're just like yeah okay this 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 guy's an idiot i want to give him my money and he doesn't want it so i mean you have to say yes. Um, if I think about preparing for the future, um, I think my, like me specifically, is what I've learned to do is diversify. Um, so I don't ever stop moving. I'm always looking for something new. I'm always, you know, trying to find a new brand or or trying to get into something else or, or shall we say, trying to grow. Uh, I think that's the only way um, forward, really, is, um, you know, it's never been my idea to just stay the way I am and, you know, earn the same for, not that I earn anything, but, you know, earn nothing for the rest of my life. The idea is to grow and make something and to become bigger. Um, And the most important thing, which um i'm sure most people realize is it's it's all about leads you want to generate leads you want to build uh relationships with your customers uh you want to have a lot of customers and as soon as you have that and you have happy customers and you provide a good service you will win over any direct model because they will always come back to you they might come back to you and say, hey, by the way, I can get this for this price online. And you'll go, yeah, okay, fine. You're a good customer. Let's see what we can do. Um, but I think um, you should never underestimate that. And that's that's the most important part of, of what I do is I try and provide the best service to my customers. And, and they come back and they're happy. And they're like, you know, why should I go and buy somewhere cheaper? Oh, that's actually a very good point. I mean, it's especially when you think about you know the uh, the spectrum of components, right? So, a spectrum of components goes from you know stem that is really hard to mess up and make any mistakes installing and stuff, apart from over torquing your bolts and stuff. But you know, you probably don't you don't need too much uh, service uh, service work for that. But uh, if you talk about your three thousand franc uh, wheel set. 
carbon rims or even aluminium rims sometimes not that they cost 3000 francs but uh you know <laughs> sometimes you, you you do get from your local dealer like James you get uh, fantastic support if something goes wrong <laughs> which it obviously always does <laughs> but um what are you talking about yeah <laughs> but um look, 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 I I'll, I'll 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 illustrate it for you so Hang on. So we get a visual from from James. It's a an up an upside down triangle. Oh, there you go. So this is a sales model. So the sale that's the smallest. Oh, hang on. Here you got to see it. Sale that's that's the smallest bit. Yeah, that's that's not necessarily the easiest bit, but that's the probably the bit that's not that in, irrelevant when it comes to building good customer relationships yeah and then you have here the follow-up hey you bought this how, how's it going everything okay do you need any help do you have any questions and then afterwards you know the service something goes wrong or what i do for example people that buy wheel sets i set a in my calendar i set a yearly reminder and i just send them an email to say hey uh you've had your wheel set for a year now uh do you want to get it serviced uh just get in touch with me and and i'd say you know 70 percent of people are like, oh yeah, I should probably do that, and and these these kind of things that you know customers like, they're like, oh yeah, and, and you're like, hey, it's no problem, you know, I'll even come and pick it up and organize everything for you, and and they're happy, they don't have to worry about it. You're happy because it lasts longer, and they don't turn up after three years, and it's fucked, you know. <laughs> um, so I mean. I'd say that is how I prepare for my future. Make sure I have people that uh, uh, that want to come to me. Because I hope I can do the best for them. Doesn't always work out. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how it goes. Bryson? really sounds like you're on point, James. We don't need to give you a whole bunch of praise. Um, it's almost like you have some kind of prescient vision for your future because I agree with you entirely about the service aspect um, it, as you were describing that situation, it really, it brought, uh, it brought a, a memory to me. Um, and I was reading a while back that, uh, kind of, um, around the turn of the, um, the industry where we started to automate a lot of things in like our factories and such. And everyone was afraid that, oh my gosh, my, my job will be taken away because, uh, they will automate this. And then, I'll be out of a job. It's uh, it, it happened in the same way where the service jobs, they didn't go away from, from automation. It was the very small, um, menial or tedious things that you could just replace with like a pick and a place, like a robot or something like that. But really when you have, when you have a service, then um, having someone to deal with in person really uh, was the key to providing that service. And as you say, it's what is probably going to bring you uh, or at least uh, keep you at that, that in that area where you'll be uh, at the top or you'll be in the people's eye and you'll be favored, therefore um, kind of securing your future in terms of uh, being a distributor and offering a, a service. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I do, I do the same. I mean, to be honest, I you know I sometimes I buy things that um, are probably cheaper um, somewhere else, um, but I have a place where I buy them. I'm really happy with them, and I'm like, yeah, I'd rather support them and give give them my money, you know. And okay, it's two francs more expensive, but that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's and it's it really there's a kind of a, a correlation between this. Uh, consu- direct to consumer and automation. It's kind of like a shortcut or like an easier way or a, um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. a simple path. And uh-huh. it was easy to implement and now it's turning out to be a little bit of a, a headache, but for, I guess, several different reasons. Um, uh-huh. I don't know all of them, but it's also the same way with automation and machinery. Like the machinery needs servicing or a new uh, internet service provider goes in and it changes the way that uh, locations are dialed in and blah 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 like automation doesn't isn't just plug and play so Mm -hmm. in the same way that uh i think brands going direct isn't just plug and play there's a lot of work that has to be done in the back end to support that and maybe they're putting a little bit too much effort into into providing that service when there is a really good model already which is brick and mortar or in your case a personalized service yeah, yeah, well, you know, everyone wants to cut out the middleman. I mean, I'm a middleman. Um, sure, but, but you're providing you're providing value. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's not that easy as well. I mean, if you look at like direct um, sales, I mean, I remember, you know, if we talk about Y2, uh, you know, they're the they're the ones that really kicked this whole direct sales off. And I remember, I mean, that was a long time ago. Gee, I can't remember how long. It was a while ago. Hmm. Uh, I was less gray back then. Um, But um, um, what I remember is all of a sudden, you know, dealers like refused to service them. Like, you know, no, because they're ruining the market and this and this and that and and send them out. Apart from... um, one that we all know very well, Greg. He's and I remember him him talking about it and said, "Why why would I refuse to service that? That's just ridiculous. I mean, that's money. <laughs> and in the, if you if you focus on service, the the margins are way higher than selling products. You know, if you talk about bike shops, you want to do. Uh, I mean, when I did retail management at Trek, we used to say you want to do about focus on about eighty percent of your turnover being service." Uh, 20% sales if you can hit that then you know gravy train it's looking good um so you know it's it's very interesting but i also think like if you look at these direct models especially at bikes i think it's unrealistic to send from one location bikes all over the world um and not to have a service partner in, at the location, you need someone on the ground who can deal with with problems, especially when you're talking about these prices and and you know bikes are also complex. They you know got a lot of moving parts. Things can go wrong quite quickly. Things can go wrong when you're shipping. Things can go wrong during manufacture that you only realise once everyone's riding it. Um, so it helps if if you know you have someone who can respond quickly, but. What doesn't help is, hey, I ordered a bike from Germany and I live in New Zealand. It doesn't work. Now now what do I do? 
yeah, I'm never going to buy one again is probably what happens. I doubt people really, you know, ship it halfway across the world to get it fixed. Or maybe they do. I don't know. Um, I think personally, I would more more sort of be like, okay, well, I'd try and fix it, but it's unlikely that I would send it back. Plus, you know, to send it back, I mean, it's going to be gone for a while. <laughs> right, give me out of commission. Uh, sorry to jump around, but I wanted to go back to um, to your business doing uh, direct to consumer, or mm-hmm. direct, but you know, you selling online to consumers themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess twenty twenty one was your first full year doing uh, web sales. Uh, I just wanted to get your conclusion on on having that period of uh, web sales and what your conclusions were about. Doing going that route because I remember talking to you earlier and it was um, one of these things you were mulling over for a while and then you finally decided to do it and so mm-hmm. do you have any uh, regrets did you did you, did you learn uh, like a, one valuable lesson from it are you going to continue to do it uh, no regrets uh, one thing I can tell you is ex- it's extremely competitive um, so there's there's guys out there, there's shops out there who really know what they're doing when it comes to Google Shopping, Google AdWords, you know, making sure their products get noticed. Um, that requires a lot of work. Uh, it takes a long time to set up. It's something I'm actually currently looking into. Um, however, it's still not the core of my business. The core of my business is bike shops. Um, and I have, when it comes to end consumers, uh, one thing I noticed is the largest portion of sales. When I look at end consumers, most of them get, just get in touch with me directly, write me a message, write on Instagram, use the contact form, um, and ask questions. It's only for, shall we say, lower price point products that sell well anything shall we say going over 300 francs uh, anything going over 300 francs is people are always getting in touch talking to you writing a message uh, I, I guess that that kind of trust they want to know that there's someone on the end and, and that they're buying from a reliable source mm, definitely and then uh, jumping back again, um, on our first talk, uh, you had this gut feeling that you, that you gave to us, and it was uh, something along the lines of when you recognize a good product and you recognize there's high demand for it, mm-hmm. um, perhaps there is a less, perhaps smaller companies would have less of a risk to manufacture it in-house. And I was wondering if you saw some more examples. I guess Pembry would be the prime example uh, that we've Mm -hmm. already talked about. But I was wondering if you saw any more examples of this. And did you pick them up in terms of distributorship because you felt that, you know, that ball was rolling and there was some value there? Well, definitely. We Are One is the other classic. I mean, they make rims and a frame. Um, What I love about Pembry and We Are One is they don't have a lot of products. Um, I think as soon as you have a huge amount of products, 
um, you start to kind of lo lose the overview and it becomes difficult. So it means you have to stock more. So you have availability issues because um, you have a lot more products. Of course, maybe it's more in interesting for a consumer, um, but um, it becomes difficult as a business model. If you have less products, but you maybe focus on the best uh, and, and really high quality and really good stuff and you keep it simple, uh, I think for for a small business, I think that's a much better business model. Um, it's for me, that's also quite interesting. That's one thing I do look at when I'm looking around and I'm quite picky these days. I have made some interesting choices in the past with brands, which I no longer uh, distribute. <laughs> but I think... Um, that's one of the things I look at very quickly is, okay, they've got a really cool product. Okay, how many other products do they have? And it's quite interesting how I find you can gauge what sort of company is um, by, I know this isn't going to sound great, but by the amount of crap they sell. Um, so, you know, if they've just got a few really high top end, really nice products, you're like, okay, this is interesting. This is going to be an interesting company to work for or work with. Um, they, uh, you know, they obviously care about what they do. Everything they're doing is high end. Um, you know, these are the kind of things where I always get a good vibe. You know, if you say, oh, okay, I found a really cool product and then you go on the website and they have thousands of different things loads of different stuff and you realize okay most of this is just manufactured in china or bought from a catalog most likely and had their brand stuck on it um you know that's for me that's a bit of a red flag i'm a bit like okay this isn't this isn't that kind of home brew home manufacturing um you know tight-knit rider-owned company that, that i'm looking for so your gut feeling serving you well? <laughs> so far. <laughs> it is in that aspect. I'm not sure about other, other aspects of my life. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what kind of brands are you excited about at the moment? I mean, brands you work with already or brands that are out there doing interesting work, stuff where you, where you perk up and uh, sharpen your pencil? Uh, well, brand, brands brands I work up with, with uh, at the moment, and if there's any other brands I'm looking at, I'm afraid I'm not going to tell you who they are. Which space are they in? <laughs> That's on a need-to-know basis. Okay. Watch their web store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, that's one thing I noticed. Actually, if you find something if you find something good, you got to be really quick. You know, there's normally a press release on, on you know, Pink Bike or Vital or wherever. Uh, and you've got to be quick. You've got to be in there with within half a day. Otherwise, they get snapped up. And normally, first come, first serve generally tends to work quite well. Okay. All right. But how do you spot this kind of stuff? You look. Is there an unwritten list you that you have pinned behind no, you in you your just, office? No. <laughs> I, just surfing my spidey sense all day. starts tingling Bryson <laughs> exactly the spidey sense and I'm like ooh I'm getting a tingle I need to go on the internet that's what we need <laughs> bye 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 I have this feeling I need to go online 
No, <laughs> anyway. Um, no, I mean, I just look, I research, I have a look around. I mean, some of the time I'm pretty happy with what I got and I like to focus on growing that and seeing where that can go. Um, and, um, but you know, I'm always on Instagram, always on all the media channels. And, uh, if something pops up, that's in interesting, I, I have everything ready, email, everything's ready to go. So I normally, uh, fire one off and see what happens. Nice. Very good. Um, Bryson, do you got anything more or is there anything else you want to talk about James? At the very beginning, you asked me, you know, about challenges uh, of of 21 and, and maybe 22 and how's, how it's going to go further. Um, I have to be really honest with you. 21 was quite a surprising year. It was unusual. Um, it wasn't um, how years normally go. I mean, it was great in terms of sales, but it was quite volatile, shall we say, very up and down. Oh, yeah, I had weeks where I went like, you know, I set myself a weekly target and I had weeks where I went way, way over targets and then weeks where nothing happened, nothing. You know, it's like everyone just died. I do think it's kind of with the whole situation now and as soon as there's bad news, everyone focuses on buying toilet paper and that's it. Um, and... To be honest, I don't think it's going to get better in 2022. I think there's going to be some interesting challenges for next year. Uh, I think, well, delivery is going to be the big ones, but I think there's going to be some changes. But as I always say, you know, every problem is just, you know, an opportunity in disguise. <laughs> That's very true. And I mean, I think the, there's a, also... How cheesy was that? It was fantastic. Such a perfect <laughs> tee-up. It's like just... That's going to be a hole in one, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting because there's a couple of, um, of course, you know, it's supposed the end of the year or the beginning of the year, depending on which way you look at it. There's a number of, uh, you know, interviews with industry people and, uh, you know, be it, uh, producers, um, by companies, uh, component manufacturers, whatever it is. And, uh, everyone has that big question mark, right? Because it's like in 21, everyone was like, can we trust this boom? Do we really need to increase our capacities by like 200%? That seems pretty risky. Now it's kind of going on. So people are still selling the stuff. I mean, delivery time on an XT derailleur through official channels is still whatever, six months or whatever. <laughs> um, so, so some of the same problems. 18 months. So yeah, so 18. some of the same some of the same problems we discussed uh, uh, a year ago, they're somehow still around. But there's also a lot of other things going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And personally, I just don't have the visibility on it um, because some people, some shops, some companies, they appear to make it happen. They do get product and others, they just never get anything. And I think that's, um, I think one of the big problems for 22 and maybe also 23 is going to be that uh, you know, some some companies will just be pushed out of the market because they they can't get any product in, and they need to, you know, they can't. They're not selling any bikes. They don't have any customers left that want to sell their bike service. They don't have any parts to service and stuff like that. So it's going to be it's a big question mark still. To be honest, it's something I've been a I've been a bit concerned 
I've been a bit concerned with actually. Um, if you look at, for example, if you distribute Shimano, um, you you're not selling anything right now. I mean, there's no stock, and maybe you sold loads and loads of stuff, and you got some cash in the bank. But that's not how business works. You know, the more you sell, the more the more work you have to do, the more effort, the more packaging you have to buy. You know, it's it's well, you're you're the finance guy. I believe it's called economies of scale. Exactly, something along those lines. <laughs> Pascal, <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> Yeah, so you know, um, you know, the more you sell, the more work that goes in, and then if you end up, if you can't keep that momentum going, I mean, you can plateau and keep selling, or you can sell everything and then you end up selling nothing. But that's the worst thing that can happen. Then it's game over. You're um, you're a sitting duck. You know, it has to keep moving. It has to keep coming in. You know, the more you sell, the more expenses you're going to have. Mm. Yeah, exactly, and that's um, so. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I do believe, um, I do believe people will start to go out of business and will start to suffer. Um, I have to say, I'm but personally, I am seeing some people struggling. Okay, yeah, it's... And some people aren't. Um, but I've even seen really good shops. I'm noticing, you know, it's, it's, I'm not noticing. It's just a gut feeling I have. I'm like, you know, is, is, um, is it really going that well? You know, um, it's, it's always a question, but I think that's, yeah, you need to be versatile. You need to, you know, if, if you can't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, if you're noticing, okay, this isn't going well, then you need to, you need to find something else. You need to try something new. Yeah, I fully agree. Back to Robin's question, you know, if, yeah, if, if you've got a brand that you lost, you're losing your business business to because they're saying direct, answer simple, find another brand. <laughs> you don't need to get rid of that brand because you probably still sell something, but find something else. <laughs> We also reached out on some of uh, the friends, friends of the podcast, for and, and some some questions. And they actually have a pretty fitting one um, from Bennett, brother of Anna Newkirk, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think it's mm-hmm. a good bookender. Um, does the job take uh, the enjoyment out of the uh, up, of the hobby? <laughs> Are you still enjoying enjoying the bikes as much as uh, as before? Uh, yes, it can do. Um, but it also can be the complete opposite. Um, but yeah, you can have bad days. You can have large shipments get lost. Uh, you can get depressed. And uh, yeah, the last thing you want to do is is go and ride a bike because <laughs> you're kind of fed up with it. Um, I normally go for a walk. Um or a beer, uh, but uh, yeah, the answer is, uh, you know, I've chosen to do this as my profession. It's also my hobby. Um, the uh, I'd say I don't suffer very much from it recently, but I have had times where, where I have, especially when I transitioned from also working and doing this to doing this 100%. Uh, you know, I had a few moments where I'm like, you know, is this worth it? Uh, you know, I love biking, but you know, it's, um, I'm having issues. Uh, there's problems everywhere. It's difficult. And, um, 
not enjoying biking that much anymore. Um, yeah, that can happen. But on the other side, and you have a really good time, um, and you're like, hey, this is my hobby. This is my dream. This is what I'm doing. And that's the best feeling in the world. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a huge plus, you know, that's, that's, you really are living the dream. So, but you can also be on the other side and, you know, that's, that's, that's life, you know, yin and yang, <laughs> there, <you laughs> there go. it is. But yeah, to answer that question, it does happen sometimes, but, uh, but as, as my wife says, you know, pull your finger out and deal with it and stop being a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you do and what helps me the best <laughs> is i have to say what what helps me the best is when i'm done I'll, i like to go for a ride by myself actually just completely on my own go out there clear my head don't talk to anyone i'm not with anyone go and ride and i normally come back and i'm like yeah you know now i know why i love this you know that's uh that's always a big help Wow, very very positive, very positive uh, message to I think to start uh, start wrapping it up. We have unfortunately because last year we've done we've done our closeout questions uh, with you before, and so then can't do those again. But we have uh, another um, funny listener question to close out that we want to use for closeout from Vitor, and uh, uh-huh. he's asking if you could transform yourself into something else than a human being. What would it be? Hang on a second. Can you can you transform yourself into a human being? <laughs> Do that for me on camera. No, no, Bryson, no. <laughs> and from here, it went downhill a bit. We'll hold that back for a B-Sides compilation at a later stage. Back to the show. All right, James, thank you very much for your time. All, um, a good chat, as always. Um, if our listeners have any questions or want to learn more about you and what you're up to, your products, your brands, etc., where can they find you? Uh, BikeTheWorld.ch uh, is the best place. Very good. Well, um, we put that up in the show notes. Again, thank you for your time. Bryson, thank you for your time. It was awesome. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. A pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was was perfect, fun, as always. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. As we mentioned at the top of the show, you can find all the links and the relevant info to this episode in the show notes. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, why don't you share it with your riding buddies? It really helps us grow our show and reach more cool people like you. That's great advice, Pascal. I really enjoyed making the episode as well. And I'm really looking forward to all the cool stuff we're going to be doing in 2022. So stay tuned, guys. 